0: your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. We're going to continue our study of Paul's life. Paul is going to share his testimony to his Jewish brothers and the Jewish elders, the guys who were in charge back then of the Jewish religion. And Paul is finally getting up to bat now to what he always wanted to do. Paul felt that because he was a former member of the Sanhedrin, a, a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, that he would be able to give them the message that they needed to hear of, that something that they could relate to of a man who formerly was against Christ, yet who knew all the Jewish laws and customs, the Jewish religion, that he was zealous for God. Yet the Lord changed his life. The Lord got a hold of him, and he felt that if he could just get in front of his brothers and sisters, that they would listen to him. Oftentimes we find in our own life that Our family sometimes can be the hardest people to minister to. That we will not have honor amongst them. Jesus talked about this. He said, sometimes, he said, a prophet has no honor in his own country. You see, because people are accustomed to to us and to our lifestyles, and they think, well, this guy is just a, you know, our brother, our, our sister, our cousin, our uncle, whatever it is. But they miss out on the truth. Oftentimes, the, the reason why missions and missionaries are, are, are so effective is because you have a stranger coming into a foreign land, and people who are not used to them see this man, this woman, coming to, to give them a message, and they will often lend an ear out of respect And when their hearts and their minds are open to the truth, there's an effectiveness in ministry and in missions. If you guys remember, in Paul's journey now as a Christian, he was on the road to Damascus, which we're going to get into there, and God got a hold of his life, changed him radically, and then Paul began to preach the word and to start churches all throughout Asia Minor, throughout Greece, throughout Judea, Samaria, and now paul was warned by the holy spirit that because he was in ephesus and desired to go back to jerusalem to give his testimony to the jews there paul had this just zeal for the lord in all of this and he was warned by the holy spirit that if he was going to go to jerusalem that he was going to end up being thrown in chains, into bondage because of the Jewish brothers. Paul, before he went there, he actually took an offering from the Gentile church. Now the big problem that the Jewish people, his brothers, had with Paul and with what the gospel he shared, one of the biggest problems was the acceptance of the Gentiles. So Paul, when he's on his way to Jerusalem, is coming to Jerusalem with an offering from the Gentile church as a sign of saying, look, like we are supporting still the Jewish church that is here. And it was a a very weird time in the church at that time because they had so much Judaism and Christianity intermingled right entwined with each other. And the Jews who had some of them just converted over to Christianity, still had problems with accepting this grace by faith, with accepting Gentiles into salvation. So Paul had quite an argument before him. He had quite a journey and his own brothers and sisters to, to put him down. But Paul nonetheless said, look, I, I'm, I'm going to go. And though his even his brethren cried amongst him and said, look, don't go. We know we know what's going to await you there. Paul said, no, I have to go. God, the love of Christ compelled him. So he went to Jerusalem. And then if you guys remember, he's there. Uh, and some of the, the Jews from Asia Minor saw him and they're like, hey, it's that dude who was preaching over there in greece and in asia minor and they're like that's him like that's the guy and all of a sudden these guys like grab a hold of him and they they take him before the mob and they start beating him up and there's this mob mentality that you see where when you have a bunch of people starting to get crazy and wild all of a sudden there's there's no rules anymore people think they can get away with anything And so they start to to beat Paul, and then the Roman guards see, like, whoa, whoa, there's a a scuffle going on. So then they intervene, and they grab a hold of Paul, and they're in in this uh, fortress, the Antonio Fortress. Paul is just saved by this Roman guard. And the Roman guard is like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, what's, who are you? Are you a, a rebel? And Paul's like, no, 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 I, I'm a Jew from, from Tarsus. And he's like, hey, can I, can I speak to my brethren, the guys who were beating me up? And the guy's like, oh, like, go ahead, go for it. So now the commander's like, okay, go ahead, Paul. Say your two cents. And this is at this point where we pick up now in the account. In Acts chapter 22, let's begin with verse 1. Paul says this. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. So you remember Paul, he relates to the Jews as his brother, even after they were just beating him up. He called them brethren's fathers. Now he begins to speak in the language of their motherland, the Hebrew language. And then if you look at verse three, then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers law and was zealous toward God, as you all are today. Again, Paul's diverse upbringings. He's a Jew, born in a Roman province, so he had his Roman citizenship because he was born in Tarsus. Now to be also in the Greek land, he understood Greek culture, and was able to, to minister to the Gentiles as well. And he studied under this man named Gamaliel. Gamaliel, again, was one of those members of the Sanhedrin. He was a disciple of him, someone who was a rabbi and would be strict with Paul, someone who would teach him the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible, the Jews study this to this day called the Torah. And it's the same five books that we study. The Jews also study the Mishnah, which is a book of Jewish writings. It's a commentary basically on the Torah and uh, on other spiritual aspects of Judaism. Now, we don't read the Mishnah. Uh, With the Mishnah, there's a lot of um, laws and things they added on. Now, Paul was a zealot. Meaning he was the patriot of patriots when it came to Jews. There were these guys known as the Kanaim who were zealots of Judaism, and in their great zeal for the glory of God, they took away the lives of other men. They at times were murderers. Now, what's interesting about the zealots is that Peter was also a zealot one of the disciples peter and peter being a zealot hated those who were part of rome before this is before christ <laughs> he would have hated those who were part of the roman structure now if you guys remember matthew was a tax collector now tax collectors were guys who were employed by rome to take money from the Jews and then to give it to Rome. So the Zealots saw these guys as traitors to the Jews. So Zealots hated tax collectors. But in the 12 disciples, we have Peter right there next to Matthew, the tax collector. And with this, what I see is that God, Jesus, brings people together. That though We come from such different backgrounds, different stories, different lifestyles. We're unified in Christ. And Paul, he was one of those zealots. He used to be, but God got a hold of his life. And then in verse four, it says, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. See here, Paul is reminding his elders, the Jewish elders, of how tight-knit he was with them and with the high priests of Judaism. He's relating to them on their level. And I'm reminded how far from God Paul was as he was bringing other Christians to prison so that they can be murdered, killed. You know, sometimes we think that certain people in our lives are so far from God that they'll never be saved. We think, like, how how can God work in this person's life? Or this person so blind and they're so anti-God. They're so whatever it is. And we don't pray for them. We don't ask God for open doors to be able to love on them and share with them. Because we think they're hopeless. But what we see is that God, when he calls someone... When God desires to bring that person to humble them, it doesn't matter w- what their state is. God can do a miracle. And sometimes those people who are so anti God are really the closest to, to actually then believing in God. Because sometimes it's the people who are kind of like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, God, I'm cool with God, who feel like they don't really need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Like, ah, you know, like I don't need to go to church. Like God is, you know, I'm cool with him. But they miss out on that true relationship with Christ. But Jesus can take those people like he did Paul and use them mightily. Look at verse six. It says, Now it happened as I journeyed Paul is going over his story here. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus as at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. As Paul's recounting his story, he's talking about going to Damascus and this great light that came down from heaven. You notice he said that this was happening at noon. So if this happened at noon, right, when the sun's, up at the tallest point. Can you imagine how bright that light must have been? It was in the daytime. And then in verse 7 and I fell to the ground and, a vo- I, and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Wow. As Paul's preaching this to his Jewish brothers, I wonder if at this point there might have been some Jews who were convicted at this statement. It seems that, as as we're going to read, that it's not a mass revival after this preaching that Paul gives. But I do wonder if there might have been a Jew here or there who was kind of in the back like, oh, man, like, am I persecuting Jesus? You see, remember, Saul didn't literally attack Jesus, but when Saul was persecuting other Christians, Jesus made it personal. He said, when you attack my children, you're attacking me. You see, when we were enemies of God, when we attacked believers, we attacked Christ. When we rejected Jesus, we rejected the Father. And that's why Saul was told by God, isn't it hard to kick against the goads? You guys know what the goads are? That's when the oxen is moving down the agriculture by the farmer, and he's kind of like mowing his lawn back then, but he was using an oxen to do it. And they had to keep straight lines, and if the oxen began to move off of that straight line, the farmer with this long stick with, with a spike at the end of it would prod the oxen so that he could stay going straight. And if the oxen fought against the farmer and kicked, actually his kicking movement would make him get pierced even more. And this was in order to keep the oxen going straight. And God related this to Saul's life with conviction. He said, The harder you're fighting against me, Saul, the more and more convicted you're becoming. And it's hurting you, it's hurting your heart, your spirit. And then in verse 9, Paul continues his, story, his account, his testimony. It says and those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me Now in Acts chapter 9 this is the account of Paul actually becoming Paul in Acts chapter 9 And in that chapter it says that the men who were with Paul that they heard a voice But in here it says that they did not hear the voice and what it really is trying to say is they heard the voice but they didn't understand what the voice was saying only paul can hear it it's almost as if there was that that heavenly language being spoken to paul and paul was able only to understand and then in verse 10 so i said what shall i do lord and the lord said to me arise and go into damascus and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Notice Paul's questions when God gets a hold of his life. In Acts chapter 9, he says, First, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. So then Paul follows it with a second question. What shall I do, Lord? You see, there needs to be both in the life of the believer, both understanding of who God is and also obedience. You see, it's not just, oh, yes, like, I'm saved, that's it. I don't need to go any deeper in my walk. No, we need to have understanding of God, of his will in our life, of his attributes, who he is. There needs to be both. Now, Paul, as he was blinded by the Lord and led into Damascus, where he would fast and pray, with no sight, Paul must have had to stay put for a time, and I'm sure being humbled now, being physically broken, he probably had a lot of time to think. His life and his whole religion had radically crashed down around him. I wonder if he was thinking, like, what, what's next? Now that I know that all this time I've been persecuting the Christians wrongly, that I was attacking the Messiah, Jesus. What do I do? I think sometimes in our life, when God radically does get a hold of us, there is an awesome moment of just freedom, of just kind of resetting, of having that new life. And then sometimes we get anxious and wondering, wait, what What is my calling then? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And what I love about God is he doesn't expect us to just understand everything at once and just have it all figured out. But by progress, a progressive revelation, he will get us from step one onto step two, onto step three. In my mind, sometimes I start thinking about my my five-year plan. I start thinking about even my five-month plan. Like whatever the, these things that are coming my way and I start getting anxious because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got to do this and that and I got this area of my life I need to work on. I got this area of my life I need to work on. And I could become anxious in all these things. And I think what's important for us to do in those moments is to allow God to guide our hearts and our minds on what is most important for the day. Yes, we should plan ahead. Yes, we should be uh, responsible and, and planning, but understanding that God is directing our path. We're not as in much control as we think we are. I think the whole world found that out this year. All of our plans are brought to nothing by something we can't even see this invisible force of a virus that God has used in our lives, both for good and for chastening and for His will to be done. What we need to realize is that God is preparing us in every season of our life for the next season. So may we learn the lessons in where we're at now. So Paul is telling them, continuing on, that he was blinded. He was there now in Damascus, and then in verse 12, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked up at him. See, Ananias reminded God, if you guys remember in Acts chapter 9, God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, you're going to go to Saul, and I want you to baptize him. And Ananias is like, dude, that dude's the terrorist. Like, you, you want me to go to, like, our terrorist and to pray with him? God, don't you know what he's capable of? And God reminds Ananias, he is a chosen vessel of mine. And then when Ananias goes and prays for Saul, the scales fall off of his eyes. I think in our life, we need to ask God to remove those things that are in our life that are blocking us from seeing the reality of situations. Remove those things from our life that are, are keeping us from having hope, And he goes on in verse 14. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. This is a cool verse right here. One of my thing that stuck out to me the most is that God chooses us so that we can know his will. Sometimes we, we feel as though God's will is hidden up in the clouds somewhere and we have to find the treasure chest with the map on it so that we can go into the cave of wonders and finally get the will of God and it will be revealed to us. And we think we have to do all this crazy work in order to discern the will of God in our life. But what I think is more true is that when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, that His will lives through us, and it's not hidden and far away, but that we simply need to abide in Christ and let the Holy Spirit live through us and naturally live out His will in our life. I know that God wants us to know and understand His will more than we do. I know this, the Bible teaches it. In Acts chapter 22, verse 14, it says, "The God." of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth we just read this but again in ephesians 5:17 it says therefore do not be unwise but understand that the will of the lord is do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled with the spirit So if you want to understand God's will, there's a warning here to be soberly minded. What is God's will? Does the Bible teach on this? It does, actually. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, concerning God's will, Paul again says, I beg you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God's will for our lives is that we would be His, holy, set apart from the world. And by doing that, he's going to bring all these other things into our life concerning our occupations, concerning our ministries, concerning our families. When we separate ourselves to God and just simply live, his will will come out. Now, Paul knew and understood that God had chosen him to see the just one, to hear his words. And then in verse 15, Paul says that God said, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. That word for witness, verse 15, the Greek word is martyris. And it's where we get our word martyr from. And I'm reminded that as a witness of Christ, we will suffer persecution there needs to be a death to self. But that when we die to ourselves, we become alive in Christ. Paul wrote that we are God's living epistles, meaning we are God's living letters to the entire world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2-3, through we read this out of the NLT says, the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, But with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. You see, we are God's living epistles. So, this is something that I am praying that God would do in my life that I would be a living epistle, a living letter of what is truth, what is love to the world. Now, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He's basically telling them, look, I the ministry that I, I did with you guys is recognized by the world and you guys are representative of the work that God has done through me to you. So I pray that we would have that heart and mind also that we would see our friends, our family members as living epistles that we have ourselves been a part of, that we've poured into others, and then they are going out now and loving and spreading the gospel to the people. And so the people we have been discipling, the people we love on, the people we share the gospel with, they become that living epistle that God used you in their life for. Do we have those people in our life that we realize God has placed there so that we can disciple? Do we have those people in our life that God has placed there for us to to share love with, to minister to? That's something that we should pray for and ask that God would give us, and more so. So Paul continues now in his testimony. He says in verse 16, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So this is what Ananias had told to Paul. To be baptized it was a, a commandment of, of the Lord. Not for salvation, but for that outward expression of an inward change. And then in verse 17. Now it happened... When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. In verse 17, we recognize Paul had a trance that God spoke to him through a vision. And then God warned him to go to Jerusalem to continue in his mission journeys. And then Paul Expressed to God how he had been previously an enemy to the Christians and was a friend to the brethren the Jews and he felt that because of this he was the best candidate to preach the gospel to them so then in verse 21 then he said to me depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles and this is exactly what Paul did in his mission trips. He went to the Gentiles. And then in verse 22, And they listened to him until this word. And they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. Notice this, that, the reason why they got so mad right here, the Jews, as Paul, he's giving his testimony. They're listening. They're like, yeah, okay, that's cool. You were part of us. Okay, that we like that part. God got a hold of your life. That's kind of weird. And then as soon as Paul says, and then God said for me to go to the Gentiles, they were like, blasphemy, and started to rip their shirts and be like, what are you talking about, the Gentiles? This was the, the, what they weren't used to. It was hard for them to see the truth that God had now accepted the Gentiles into the family of God. Why does it seem sometimes that God hides himself rather than reveal the truth to people? Do you guys ever struggle with like, why well, come people just don't get it? How come people don't understand and see that Jesus is real, that he loves us? Like, don't, why, why, don't, why doesn't the world understand In, in conversation with Lisette, uh, just yesterday uh, we were we were talking about this. Well, how come? Imagine, okay, because picture this: you're a Jew, right? And you have the Torah, and you study that your whole life, and you're worshiping the one true living God. And then suddenly the Messiah comes, Jesus. You you hear about him. You hear about the work he did on the cross and the death and resurrection stories that were surrounding this Christ figure, it's still, as, as a normal human being, I, I, I think there's an a, a honest skepticism that I would have of saying, wait, now the Old Testament that I that I've studied since I was a little boy, you're telling me that the old laws are, are done away with? And that now I'm supposed to follow this this man, Jesus, that he is the Messiah? There's an honest skepticism that should be there. I I think that God allows us to have that also because when other people come and start claiming that they're the Messiah and other false prophets, he wants us to have that red, red flag go off in our head. So it had to be kind of a hurdle for the Jews who are a monotheistic religion to then accept this doctrine, this theology of Christ being the Messiah, the Holy Spirit. And perhaps it was hard for some of them. When I think of, of this, I, I think of how Jesus told his disciples, how he spoke to them in parables. And I think of how Jesus shared with his disciples that the secrets of the kingdom of heaven were given to the believers. And Matthew Chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, I'm going to read out of the NLT. Jesus says this to his disciples. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they do not really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. See, Jesus is expressing that there needs to be supernatural revelation for us to know divine truth. And divine revelation is necessary because humans naturally do not understand God's truth. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Bible tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned scripture clearly teaches that the human is inability to have this attainment of saving knowledge of god apart from god's grace it requires both john 6:44 Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You see, there needs to be both. Man has free will. Human beings, we have free will, so we have to choose God, but God also has to choose us. Both work at the same time. Now, as Paul is they are with the, the commander now. He's saying this, and the Jews, when they heard Paul said that the Gentiles, they start tearing their clothes, and they're trying to get him again. And the, the commander is like, in verse 24, look at this. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. Now keep in mind, perhaps this commander didn't even speak Hebrew. He told Paul, asked him, hey, can can I speak to my brothers, the the Israelites here, the the Jewish elders? And so the commander was like, yeah, go ahead, talk to your brothers. And Paul's there speaking to them in Hebrew. And then as all of a sudden, all the Jews start getting crazy again, the commander's like, whoa, whoa, like, what did you say to them? And he grabs Paul and he's like, what's going on, Paul? And he takes them now to the barracks. And he's like, find out what this guy said to these guys. And they're about to whip him now, the scourging. The scourging, by the Romans was the same that Jesus had experienced where they would take this cat-of-nine-tails whip with claws and glass at the end of it and they would whip it on and then as they would pull it back off of the victim there, it would rip off chunks of the flesh off of their skin and off of their body. And Paul sees that this scourging is about to take place now upon him and then in verse 25, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? So now Paul, there, he's tied up, put on on this place where they're about to whip him. And right before they're about to do this, Paul tells this Roman guard, Hey, is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman? him knowing well that it actually was not lawful for them to do so. It wasn't lawful for the magistrates to condemn a Roman without hearing the cause and pleading in it, and such condemned persons might appeal to the people and to those elders. So then in verse 26, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum of money I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Again, we see Paul's diverse upbringing being used in the providence of the Lord to save him from the scourging. The Roman guard says, wait, 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 are you a Roman? Is this true? And Paul's like, yeah, I'm a Roman. And then the commander tells him, well, I also am a Roman. I bought my citizenship. And then Paul was like, I was born in America. Basically saying, like, I was born in Roman citizenship. In verse 29, then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priest and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Now again, after realizing that they can't whip Paul, they put him in the barracks and they say, okay, look it, this is what we're going to do. We're only going to call the Jewish leaders, not the whole mob, just those who are in charge. And we're going to have them come and meet with us. And we're going to meet with Paul and we're going to squash this. We're going to find out what's going on, why, they wanna, why they're so upset with Paul. And put, we're going to allow Paul to give a defense. They're going to go now by the law of what was allowed back then. And Paul, again, here is going to be able to give his account to the Jewish elders. So keep in mind that Paul was waiting for this moment to happen. It was like, man, this, if I could just get there to my Jewish brethren and preach to them the gospel, for sure they're going to they're hear me and they're going to know because I was one of them. And suddenly it ends up in riot and being thrown in prison again. This is going to be discouraging for Paul, and we're going to get into that next week as we study chapter 23. But God's not done with him. This is, again, just a step in the seasons that Paul goes through. See, God has even bigger plans of what Paul is going to do in spreading the gospel. And what I notice is that Paul, he was effective because he was obedient. You see, God doesn't grade us on whether the person converts or not, he re- grades uh, not grades us, I should say, that's a bad word, but God wants us to be obedient. It's counted for eternal gain when we simply do what God has told us to do. If the person rejects the gospel, we still have our re- reward for being obedient to God. So that's why we're here trying to grow in our, our knowledge of who God is so that we can share this with others. And I'm excited as we are understanding more and more about, about Paul and his journey, just to learn about the history of our word, the history of what God did, of why we do things the way that we do them today, why we believe what we, we believe, so we could be more equipped May we be like Paul who wasn't afraid to share his testimony to allow us to be that living epistle in other people's lives. And this week, I pray that you would pray and ask that God would open up doors for you to share. Pray and ask that God would open up doors and just see how amazing that God can work. You don't have to strive and force people and you don't, I'm not telling you to go on the corner of your street with a sign that says repent. I'm telling you to just simply allow Jesus to live through your life and may you fulfill that perfect will that God has for you. Let's all stand this morning. Again, one of the reasons we want to go through uh, this Ministry 101 course is just to understand and know what the Spirit is, is doing in your church, Redeemed Church, where we come from. Sometimes people uh, don't really know why their church does things the way they do things, and I want us to know why we do things the way we do things here. Um, So stick around, there's gonna be some food and then we're gonna watch uh, this documentary. But let's pray and ask that God would fill us with his testimony this week. Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you, Lord, that you have given us, Lord God, a testimony of love, of truth, of freedom. Lord, may we be your living epistle to others in this world. I pray and I ask Lord God that you would open doors for us to share with others. Father, continue to guide us Lord God in this ministry at this church. Give us discernment, give us wisdom, Lord. I pray if there are those who are struggling with knowing your your will in their life, I pray that you would remove that anxiety. That they would just draw themselves closer to you, Lord. That your Holy Spirit would do so. May we grow stronger in our knowledge of the love of Christ. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more song. Between us, by the cross you came and broke them down, broke them down. There were chains around us, by your grace we are no longer bound, no longer bound.
1: You called me out of the grave, you called me into the lie, you called my name and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me Your love is greater, your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me And what a love we found, death can't hold us down We shout it out, we're alive, cause you're alive And what a love we found, death can't hold us down We shout it out, we're alive, cause you're alive Your love is greater, your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. We blessed this
0: week.